Okay, Romans chapter 12, and we're going to be picking up at verse 3, and we're going to be reading right through to the end of verse 8. Now, just for context, we'll start at verse 1 again. Sorry? Verse 1 of chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable and perfect. Verse 3. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly, if prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith, if service, in his serving, or he who teaches, in his teaching, or he who exhorts, in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Trust God will add a blessing to his word. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we come to this text and understand, Lord, that it puts to us our responsibilities as believers. Father, help us to take this in as the Spirit of God would prompt us that we might have humble hearts and be contrite before your word. So teach us this morning, we pray, in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Many years ago now, when um, I began my career as a dairy farmer back in New Zealand, one of the things I understood very quickly in the piece was, well, I thought I understood, that to be productive and profitable as a dairy farmer, it I had to send whole heaps of quality and quantity milk every day out of that gate. Okay? And um, it was a bit of a no-brainer, really. You know, the more milk you send, the more profit came in. But I was soon faced with some serious questions about the shortfall in the milk that I was producing. Well, not me, the cows, okay? <laughs> and, I, you see, because I failed to understand... As with dairy farming, there is this underpinning, can I say, a synergy of of vital components that need the farmer's constant, equal attention. Now, my dad, who was an experienced dairy farmer, he soon clued me in where I was failing and missing out on this greater quantity and quality of milk. You see, when I first started dairy farming, my priority, well, I I made it my priority, uh, was all about the breed of our cattle. My wife and I sort of went into partnership and and it had to be black and white. It had to be Holsteins. Anything else that smacked of anything else was out, sent to the abattoirs. It had to be black and white, pure breed Holsteins. And um, I I just thought, well, if, if if you breed out the rubbish and breed in quality, everything else will take care of itself. After all, it's a cow that produces the milk, right? So you have good cows. 
But my dad introduced me to this vital, diverse interaction that must have equal attention for any farm or dairy farm to be productive and profitable. He said, son, something like this. You have the breed, but you have neglected the feed and the weeds. In other words, your cows that you have got now have the potential to produce heaps of milk, but they cannot because you have neglected pasture quality. And on top of that, you have no weed control policy in place. From that moment on, my Trinitarian guideline, I called it, for dairy farming was equal treatment of breed, feed and weed. Okay? As a matter of fact, I soon began giving details under those three areas their due and equal attention of breed, feed and weed. And it wasn't only until I started into that that we began producing milk like we never had before. Now this sounds all complicated and you're very agrarian and you might say, what on earth has this got to do with the text? And uh, well, it has a lot to do with it because the same principle of singular purpose being worked out and achieved through diversity is exactly what the Apostle Paul is on about in our text today. Paul's big three, can I say, was not breed, feed and weed, but as in verses 1 and 2 it states, it's all about dedication, worshipful service and transformation. That was his three. That should be our three. In other words, in response to God's mercies, these three fundamentals, when put into practice, will produce what God deserves from us. When they equally govern our lives, the singular purpose of glorifying God and all the details of our serving Him, that will be God-honouring, acceptable service. Now we need to ask at this point, what do these three overarching fundamentals, what do they look like? Where and how do I begin putting into practice these three equally important ingredients that will make my dedication to the Lord, my worshipful service for the Lord and my personal transformation. How and where do I start putting that into practice and make them a reality in my life so that my serving, your serving, my ministry, your ministry might be acceptable to God and God glorifying? Where do I start? Well, Paul gives us three things that our service to God depends on. The first one is, as we see, is a right attitude for God's service. We see this in verse 3. And that's where it all begins, with a proper attitude. You'll see it right at the beginning of that verse, we have the word for. That just simply tells us that when that word is there, it links us with what has been said prior, particularly in verses 1 and 2. And so the instructions are to everyone. You see that in that verse? To everyone. It's important that, so no one's missed out here. Everyone is what? He is not or she is not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think with sober sober judgment. That's really out of the ESV version. Great version. In other words, we could put one word over this, which says humility. 
Because humility is the key that unlocks the door to effective God honouring worshipful service. And this is a very important ingredient that many believers, even myself included, fail in. Our culture is saturated and driven by the opposite by pride and, and self-esteem and, and looking after number one kind of philosophy. That's out there, right? Now don't forget we were told in, in, in verse 2 of this chapter, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so we've got to gauge what's out of culture and what we are like, and so we are not to think more highly of, of ourselves than we ought. It's sad to say, we can be so easily pressed into this cultural mould you see, folks, no matter how even theologically sound, how matter, no matter how biblically savvy we might be, or even how enthusiastic and disciplined we are in our service to God, no matter how pious we might be, our God-given giftedness will never be spiritually effective and produce what God intends it to produce if we have not what? If we have not denied ourselves. Acceptable worshipful service to God will not happen if we have not become living sacrifices and given the Lord the place that only the Lord should have in our lives. And so for a believer to think more highly of himself than he ought is a sinful. And what that means is is to overestimate his or her own value. It's another way of saying that they're deceiving themselves. Paul warns of this elsewhere in the scriptures where he tells Galatians, believers in chapter 6 verse 3, he says, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he what? He deceives himself. And so please note the context of what we're reading in the book of Romans here. For where is it set? It's set in the local church. It's written to the local church in Rome. Folks, there's a real danger, I believe, and I'm speaking to myself here as much as anyone, um, of the self-deception creeping up on us. And it does it in two main ways. The first way is, the first danger of self-deception is that we do what? What we can do is we can start looking down on other believers or consider them unspiritual because they may not do what you can do, so to speak. And so we look down on them. Maybe this self-deception takes another slightly different track, but it certainly can be there. Is it can cause a person to think that the, that the whole church will fall apart if their abilities and talents are not engaged. Or maybe the self-deception gets a person, or maybe even a small group within the church, thinking that the function and effectiveness of the local church is totally dependent on the talents and abilities of those few themselves. That's self-deception, every single one of them. There are people for the function and God-glorifying direction and the ministry of this church, this church, we're talking about this church, our church here, forget about the other churches, our churches at the moment, for the function and God-glorifying direction and ministry of this church to be worked out, every believer is important. 
But no one is vitally essential. I've got no doubt about it that if I dropped dead today, this church would carry on. Absolutely. Praise God for that. What this means is that there is a need and a place for every believer to serve God. But the whole work must never rest on the shoulders of one or a few. The day actually that anyone begins to think that this church is dependent on them alone, that is the day we need a spiritual overhaul. The self-deception has crept in and, and that person or those people may be thinking, are thinking more highly of themselves than they ought. May we follow what Apostle Paul said to the Philippines on the same thing. He said to the Philippian church in chapter 2, verses 3 to 5, and you'll know this well. Do nothing out of self-ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others more important than yourselves. Well, that's a huge ask, isn't it? But that's where it hits, right? That's where the rubber hits the road. Think of others or consider others more important than yourselves. Each person should look not only on... Not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of others. Your attitude toward one another should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 2, 3 to 5. The second danger, the second danger of self-deception or thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought is the opposite end of the spectrum where we can, and I have heard, I'm not saying in this church, what I call it self-depreciation. We can easily self-depreciate. This kind of attitude disguises itself in a humility that is completely false. I call it prideful humility, if you can have that sort of together, I don't know. You see this kind of self-deception when people are asked or maybe challenged about opportunities to serve in in the church or to help other people. And and the kind of response you may get is a, a sad degeneration into something like this. Oh, I can't do that. I don't have the abilities or the gifting or, or, or that, to do that kind of ministry. Oh, no, look, look, I really, really can't because I've got this on, I've got that on, I've got a hundred and other. No, 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 I just can't do that. Well, you might hear that there, 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 surely there may be others, must be others more suited than me for this task. I'm not trained for that. Or I'm not spiritually prepared or ready. What we can see here is an immediate facade of false humility that is just a cover-up so often of a person's own selfish agendas. That's what happens. Sad to say. My dear people, if you have been saved, if you are saved, there's always something that every single one of us can do. As I'm thinking of this new era in this church. It's a bit like that, isn't it? New era. That we've embarked on or embarking on or about to, God willing. Every single one of us are going to have heaps of opportunities to serve the Lord. And to imply that I have no giftedness, or really that's not for me, or there's nothing around, uh, or, or what I would call it dark shoving around under the guise of false humility, you know what it does? You know what it's doing? It's basically slapping God in the face and saying, God, you've messed up with me. Because when you saved me, you gave me no ability, you gave me no giftedness to use and serve in the body of Christ. That's what we're saying. 
Now, I don't know about you, but that's the last thing I want to hear, the judgment seat of Christ, right, when we stand before him and give account of our service for the Lord. At our salvation, folks, the Lord has gifted us and in some areas so that we might use that ability, that talent, that gift, whatever you want to call it, and it's up to each one of us to willingly use it. To willingly use it. Don't deny the Lord what he deserves because of self-deception. So the question we might ask, well, how do we gain a right attitude for God's service? Here is the balance. Here is a balance and a right attitude between those two prideful extremes. Paul calls on us to think with sober judgment as God has assigned to each a measure of faith. You see that word there? We need to think. That's a key word in this section. It's mentioned several times. We need to think soberly or to think to produce an accurate assessment of ourselves. Not an overvalued or an over, overrated. An accurate assessment of ourselves. What this means is that we're to recognise that in and of ourselves as people, we are nothing. That's it, nothing. But in Christ, because we are in Christ, because we have been saved and we have the Spirit of God dwelling in us, because we are one of God's children, we can be anything that God wants us to be. You believe that? You should do. You see, the Lord saves us to use us, folks. Really, really good if we hung on that idea and started letting it sink in. He didn't save us to be comfortable, healthy, wealthy and wise, like our prosperity gospel people preach out there. No, no, he, he saved us to use us. To be his slaves. To do his kingdom work in order to glorify God using the gift that he has so graciously and lovingly given us. Now that kind of thinking gives no room for self-esteem or pride in our own humanness, right? None at all. It's only as we draw on what God, what does it say, has allotted to each. And so what has he allotted to us? A measure of faith. See that? Now this faith here is not saving faith. This is not salvation faith that we're talking about here in the text. In verse 3, no. This is a faith that was given to us, or it's, it's the same expression as used, it's a, it's a grace that God has given us. And so this measure of giftedness that God has given each of us, it's to be used by us in faith, by God's grace. We see that in, in verse 6 as well. For his kingdom, for serving the body of Christ in the local church. And so simply it's this, for by grace through faith we're saved, we all know that, right? And it's by grace, through faith, we serve God with the abilities he has given us for his glory. Nothing else works. Nothing else works that is acceptable worship to God, folks. Nothing. And it all begins with what? It all begins with a right attitude that is saturated in humility. This brings us to our second point. A right harmony for God's service. So if we had a right attitude, we also see there needs to be a right harmony for God's service. We see this in verse 4 and 5. And as I mentioned earlier, in my farming days, I learned how, how the diverse details of breed, feed and weeds needed to be in harmony in order to produce the very best results. 
Okay, I learned that. But what Paul does here is he uses the body image, not a farm, he uses the body image to illustrate the needful harmony in a local church. Now we all know so well that when one part of our physical body ceases to function as it should, or some part becomes damaged or whatever, the whole body suffers, right? But wow, when everything is going well, when every part is functioning as it should, the energy level lifts, the potential to do more stuff and do more things and live life and enjoy life, that come up several more levels, the joy of living life goes up and up when everything's functioning well. Well, it should be. I was thinking about this when I was writing this out. One miserable little kidney stone jammed in a little insignificant tube, drain tube, caused this body to go into complete shutdown. But when all the body parts began functioning well again, I'll use that expression, I was a box of birds. So Paul takes this well-known body image and, and focuses in on its unity in diversity. It's needful harmony in action. And he then takes this diversity and harmonious action and what does he do then? He transfers it to the dynamics or the dynamic function of a local church. You see that in verse 5. And he says there is one body. He says that in both verses. One body. What does that represent? It represents the unity, right? There's the oneness. And then it's many individual members Not having the same function, what does that represent? It represents this diversity. But more than that, just in case any of us think that we can get lost in the many. Not positive, this is what happens in big churches. Not that I'm against big churches, I love big churches as well as small churches. But it's easy to get lost in the many in big churches, right? I can eyeball every single one of you here today, but if I was in a church of four, five, six hundred, I wouldn't be able to eyeball every one of you. And it's very easy to get lost in the meaning, right? Well, just in case we think we can get lost in the many in the body of Christ, Paul reminds us that each individual member has a unique role. It's a function. This is where the Latin word praxis comes from. And what this word function means, it's simply doing something that is normal but needful for the greater good of what? Of the body. Now this truth has real practical implications for each one of us folks and as a church. I would suggest it must mean that for this body, this church, to produce God-glorifying worshipful service, each member must be busy functioning, right? That's a bit of a no-brainer. It will mean that every single member must be first of all and fundamentally loving, open, honest, caring, hospitable to one another. For starters. After all, where is he? When Alex, last week, hammered his thumb, which he not too proudly showed us. A builder is not meant to hammer his thumb, he's meant to hammer a nail. When he hammered his thumb last week by accident, I absolutely know that his foot or his ear or his eye wouldn't pop up and, and, um, and ignore the pain, right? Nor did any other member of his physical body mutter under the breath, rubbish, Alex, this did not happen, suck it in. Okay? It's all a lie. No, 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 no. 
Every single member. I guarantee he even probably it went into shutdown in sympathy for that needful, hurting, bruised member. Here's that. This reminds me of what Paul said to the Ephesian church in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbour, for we are members of one another. We are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. My dear people, if we want to see the Lord doing great things that bring glory to his name through this church, there must be individual submission to the unity of the body of Christ so that through all our diversity there is a harmony that enables this body, this church, to do what Christ directs and wants it to do. So, we need to have a right attitude for God's service, we need to have a right harmony for God's service, and thirdly, we need to have a right performance in God's service, and we see this in verses 6 to 8. You know, there's nothing more frustrating, as I'm sure that you can empathise with, than, or disappointment, when a team member fails to do what they have the ability to do and then see the whole team suffer because of that. That's gut-wrenching stuff, isn't it? You remember Sally Robbins? Who knows Sally Robbins? Jordan does. She became known by the media who proudly put her out and called her Lay Down Sally. Now you'll be starting to tick over. Remember Lay Down Sally? Well, she was involved in the infamous incident in the 2004 Women's Rowing 8 Olympic team. It was a final She came through, the, the whole eight came through the, the first thousand metres into our third. And, and they got up to be within three seconds behind the Romanian team who were first. And having still 500 metres to go, during the last final 400 metres, a medal at least was within reach. Sally Robbins purposely dropped her oar and gave up and flopped back in her teammate's lap, Julia Wilson. Australia consequently finished last 10 seconds behind the fifth place crew. So that was lay down Sally. Who wants to lay down Sally in their team? Who wants to lay down Sally in this church? Well, the Apostle Paul draws our attention to the performance or the exercise of the gift that God has given each one of us in these verses. So here we have a team, the local church. It's fitted out with members who have been saved by God's grace and by God's grace gifted so that this body can function in harmony for the service of God. I love how Peter actually extrapolates a little bit more in his uh, epistle. 1 Peter 4.10 As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. What Paul here, what Paul gives here is in this, these few verses, it, it's not a comprehensive list of gifts. It's not a list where you can go, okay, oh well, um, 
that cuts me out because I'm there. No, no, no. This is just an example. You've got to go to First uh, uh, Corinthians 12, and you have here in Romans 12, and you go to First Corinthians 4 to see a greater list. And even then, I don't believe they are comprehensive. They're just given as a, an example. Nor is this list emphasizing any specific gift or ability. What it is emphasizing here is the faithful individual exercising of these gifts. Nor is the issue, which many went back years ago, it was a big thing that plagued and went right through the evangelical church if it was the end all end all. Nor is the emphasis on, oh, what is my gift? Remember, so you had all those surveys, you filled out hundreds of questions, at the end you come and tick the box, oh, this is my gift. No, 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 that's not here. Nor is the issue, how do I find my gift? That's not the main issue. Because, folks, if we are living sacrifices, get this, if we are living sacrifices to God and are being transformed by the renewing of our minds and are thinking so as to have sound judgment, you know what? Opportunities for you to serve are going to pop up like nobody's business. And in the process of willingly getting on with the task, we will find out what gifts or gift God has given us. It'll happen, I'll guarantee it. If we lay ourselves on the altar, God's altar. God has gifted us, yes, but finding out with what will only come as we willingly and fully partner with Christ in the local church. Matter of fact, nowhere in the New Testament actually, nowhere in the New Testament is it, is it, is it promised that our gifts come in neatly standalone branded packages. Nor does the New Testament ever classify believers by their gift. Never does. We are Christ's slaves. Slaves who are willingly available for the Master's use for small things or for great things. We're all given a gift or gifts, but God kind of, he, he mixes them up somewhat. He's a little bit like the artist, you know, he has all these pots of colours, and then he gets all the colours and he, and he makes one big blob, and, and, and he mixes all the colours up there to produce his masterpiece. God's a little bit like that. He's a little bit like that with us. Are you making your colour, your gifts available to the Lord through this church so that God, the divine artist can create what he longs to create that's the question that's the challenge a text tells us that whether it be prophecy it starts off with that is proclaiming the word of God make sure this gift is used what's the codicil there? according to the proportion of his faith In other words, speaking on behalf of God must be according to already revealed truth as we have in Scripture. This is what I believe, this according to the measure of faith. Or it possibly could be, this is another possibility, I'm not going to be dogmatic on either one, or it could mean, according um, to the proportion of faith, that according to one's personal understanding of the Gospel and his or her ability to communicate it to others, I'm not a John McCarthy. I'm not a Chuck Swindoll. I will never be able to communicate truth like those guys can. But I'm responsible for communicating truth with the proportion of faith that the Lord has given me. And same with you. So, dads in their homes, discipleship relationships, 
the way you communicate it, you're actually to do that. Don't peg back and say, oh, no, no. I haven't got an ACM. Um, I'm not trained. So I can't do that. And so we go on and we see, also see that if your gift is serving, teaching, exhorting, giving, leading and showing mercy, whatever it might be, know that there is also a governing exercise of these various gifts. In other words, the gifts we exercise are not to be something that has to be wrenched or forced or dragged out of us. Sometimes we've got to do that. Welcome says, well, you know, maybe you should go and tap someone on the shoulder. Sometimes we have to do that. Maybe maybe the best way, because some people are shy, and, and, and that's fair enough. But how much better would it be? Hey, I'm willing. If you can use me in any way at all, or if you can help me to find a, 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 a way that I can do something. So if you can serve others in any way, shape or form, this is how, get on with it and willingly serve them. You must do that. So if you are a lead or teach, which can be in the ministries of the church, or your home, or discipling someone, you better get on and do that, because if you don't, you know what? The Lord will be grieved and his body will suffer. It's a bit like a bell of that. If you exhort, that includes things like encouraging, advising, comforting, and warning, and strengthening. It's your responsibility to do that. And you don't have to do all those things from a pulpit. You can start doing it around the coffee tray. Folks, there is heaps of opportunity for this kind of member to be functioning in our church. If you're a place to give, we're also if you're if you're a place to give, a gift to give, which we all are to varying degrees, we're all to give to God, right? When it comes to finances and things. Get on with it. What's a codicil? Give liberally. Don't forget that the Lord loves what? A cheerful giver. What about the gift of mercy? Who'd ever thought of that? We all need to show mercy because of what? Because God showed mercy to us, right? And so there's a, that's one of the underpinning things. We all should be merciful people, but there are some who are called to go the extra mile and who are gifted in their personality and their character and their being to go the extra mile. And this word mercy here, by the way, this command to, for those who show mercy, it, it's not a, oh, I'm, I really feel sorry for those people. Move on. No, no, no. This mercy here is, yes, motion will be involved, but there's action to follow. So this is like, a, it's like an action word. It's not just about a feeling or experience. So our gifts were given so that they might be practised freely and willingly and carefully and generously and cheerfully for the Lord's glory. Now in conclusion, as we think about the body of Christ this morning, which we're all part of, I wonder how well we are filling out the places that we've been called to fill. I wonder as you listened this morning, pondered and meditated, has the Spirit of God prompted you and says, I've fallen short and I need to be more willing to function using the abilities that the Lord has given me to bring about what he wants in this church for his glory.
May God move us all by his spirit to be living sacrifices so as to serve him acceptably. For only through right worship of God can we rightly serve him.